Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with His Word, and more in love with people. What a wonderful, wonderful song. I pray that you're looking forward to that day when the trumps shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Amen? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Looking for His soon return. And uh, man, thank you so much for being here. If you have your Bible, turn with me to... Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, I want to encourage you to turn with me in scripture and, and while you're doing that, listen, uh, all I can say is that if you missed last week, oh, I heard somebody started to get a little excited out there. If you missed last week, you missed it. I'm just going to say you missed it. Listen, you missed a wonderful time uh, together. Listen, I know it's a busy week. I literally, Travis and I, we came out of Sunday night and we loaded up. I was in his driveway at 5.45 in the morning to take he and I to Dulles Airport. We got on one of those little jets and we flew over to Cleveland and then we drove for a while and made our way down to where Travis was being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame there in Canton. <laughs> It sounded good. <laughs> anyway, so we made our way there for a pastor's meeting. And so we were already tired when we got there. And then it was like no rest for the weary. They just, you know, it's like drinking water out of a fire hydrant. And uh, so we were there uh, Monday, started meetings Monday afternoon, uh, Monday night, Tuesday all day, Tuesday night, Wednesday all day, Wednesday night. And then we literally got up again at the crack of dawn and drove back to Cleveland to get on a flight to come home and uh, we've been going ever since and so I'm still burning a little bit of that midnight oil but man we had a great time didn't we with our missionary guests last week and uh, literally it was amazing to see I'll just be honest with you it was amazing to see how the Lord blessed our time of worship last Sunday I, if you were if you were not here man you missed it because I mean the service was already good and then those little kids got up. Anybody remember what I'm talking about? They got up with their little press hats on and their, and their little, uh, they had little notebooks. They were asking the missionaries all kind of questions. And they sang that song, Break Me for the Nations. And it was like the Holy Spirit just descended on this place. And it was a blessing. The Lord blessed our time together and we... It was amazing to see people exercise faith. We've been talking about faith for today and somebody got it because it was amazing to see uh, people exercise faith as we received our new missions uh, commitment for the next year. And to be honest, I'll be honest with you, it's been amazing to see people exercise faith in a year of great uncertainty when it comes to finances to give to support missions around the world. In fact, from, from last October to last Sunday, this little church up on a hill, by God's amazing grace and His working in our lives and just putting forth that burden in our hearts, 
This little church gave over $420,000 for worldwide missions. And that's exciting, yeah. That, that like blows my circuit breaker. But last week, if you haven't seen the slide already, I mean, and some of you who are here on Sunday night still have no idea because that was just right after service. There had to be, you know, it was like elections. You had to recount and recount and recount. Well, and then there were people who still wanted to get involved. But, man, as of Thursday, the New Faith Promise commitment for this church going forward for this upcoming year is over $508,000. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's, that just blows my mind. And, you know, when you look at... See, because we don't know who said they would do what. But by faith, somebody said they would do something. Amen. And so it's amazing to see really the fruition of that song, Little is Much, when God is in it. Amen? And uh, it's amazing to see, you know, that every, I saw some young people who committed to give a quarter a week for missions. That's amazing. That's an amazing thing. And when you start doing the multiplication, man, that adds up for a teenager. That adds up for a child, right? And, and to see people who step out by faith and say, you know what, I'll give a dollar a week to missions. Man, that's an amazing thing to see. And, and it just, just blows my circuit breaker. So thank you so much for being here uh, last week. It was just a wonderful time. And uh, I'm looking forward to our time in God's Word this morning. So if you look with me, uh, we're going to continue our study and look at some of the examples that we see in Hebrews chapter 11 of faith. And today, we're going to look at a whopping one verse. And y'all get nervous whenever we have one verse. You're like, it's going to be long. It's just one verse. No, I promise we'll try and get you out of here quickly this morning. But look at Hebrews chapter 11 and drop down with me and look one verse. Today, we're going to look at verse number 20. Verse number 20. And the Bible says these words. It says, by faith... Isaac, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you so much. God, we thank you so much for the fact that because of Jesus, we know the way. We have the truth and we have life everlasting. God, we thank you for that. And and the opportunity that you have given each of us to build our life upon you, the solid rock of our faith. And Lord, for the believer, it doesn't matter what we're going through. Even as the one who penned those words, we can all say it is well with our soul. And so Lord, I pray that today that you would speak to our hearts. God, that your spirit would move. And through the preaching of your word and the wooing of your spirit, God, you would draw us unto yourself. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody watching or somebody in this room that has never called out upon the name of the Lord for forgiveness, for salvation, God, that today, God, that would be something you would do. That's some, something that you would work in their life. And God, we would be thankful for that. God, I pray that even for those who are already in Christ, Lord, that today our faith may be encouraged, our faith may be strengthened and emboldened as we go out from this place to live a life, Lord willing, that will bring you honor and glory. 
God, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight because you are my strength and you are my redeemer. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for what you have done and what you will do. And we pray this in the precious and powerful name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen. Well, isn't God good? Look with me here again. In verse 20, it says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Now remember, as we've been looking at this idea of faith for today, we've said that faith is like a fruit tree that produces fruit, right? So it's a fruit tree that produces fruit. And we said from, Isaac, from Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? That verse says, now faith is the substance it's the substance or the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. And so basically we've, like a broken record, have been reiterating this fact over and over. We have to start at the beginning, right? So faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And so what we have said is that faith actually believes what God has revealed and faith actually trusts what God has promised. And that's exactly what we see here in this one little verse of Scripture concerning Isaac. And through our series, we've already looked at other fruit. We've seen that the fruit of faith uh, re re reveals itself in a life that listens to God, a life that walks with God, a life that obeys God. And even as we looked a couple of weeks ago at the life of Sarah, remember, Sarah, through faith also, it says, she received strength she received God's power, his, his dunamis power. She received strength to conceive seed. And this morning we're going to be reminded somewhat by the ordinary life of Isaac. Have you ever heard someone say the ordinary life of Isaac? Because really, we don't know a lot about Isaac. But through his ordinary life, we're going to see that faith also submits to God. Because see, by faith, Isaac blessed by faith, he, he did something by faith. What was it that he did by faith? The Bible says that he blessed, he blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And so when I start to think about Isaac's life, we really don't know any uh, historically great things that Isaac did. To be honest, we don't. What, when, when we say the name Isaac, the first thing that comes to our mind is that he was the boy who was taken up on the mountain by his dad and he was getting ready to be offered as a sacrifice. That's typically the first thing we think about Isaac. We're like, oh, he was, he was the boy, and we don't know how old he was at that point. But uh, Travis and I were having this discussion even while we were away, and uh, w we really believe that he was old enough to have put up a fight if he wanted to. And yet Isaac, we find him up on the mountain, and, and his dad's ready to, to, uh, to uh, sacrifice him. But that story is about Abraham. It's not really about Isaac. And you say, well, where do you get that from? Because Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17 says this. It says that by faith Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac. So that was all about Abraham. And then in Genesis chapter 24, here's what else we know. Like Abraham sends out his servant Eliezer, right? He sends him out for what purpose? He's sending Eliezer out to go get Isaac a wife. Interestingly enough, nobody went to find me a wife. I found her on my own. And then I tricked her into marrying me, right? Isaac's nowhere to be found. It's like, yo, dad, can I go? I mean, after all, this is going to be my wife. No, no, Eliezer sent. So really, again, the story is about Abraham and Eliezer. Isaac's just like, he's like over here sitting off to the side. 
It's really not about Isaac. If we look in Scripture, Scripture details a number of things about his notorious son Jacob. And also his super, super gifted grandson Joseph. But we really don't know that much about Isaac. And I don't know, maybe you identify with Isaac a little bit. I identify with Isaac a little bit. You see, Isaac was overshadowed by all the people around him, especially those in his own family. Any middle child here? Any middle children here? Me? So the reality is, as a middle child, I can tell you from experience that uh, sometimes my academic my academic acumen and my sport, my sporting or my athletic abilities were compared in some way, shape, or form to my four brothers and three sisters, right? And so you feel like you're always being compared to somebody. Anybody, anybody ever felt like that as a middle child? I know I felt like that at times. It's like, you know, my, my, my older brothers, if they did something, I felt like I had to do it too, you know? And then if my younger brother or younger sisters did anything, then I really felt bad that I hadn't done it, right? So you're like caught in between. Well, I think that's the way maybe Isaac felt. Because you see, if we look at all 50 chapters in Genesis, what we find is very little about Isaac. Twelve of the chapters are devoted to Abraham, right? Ten of the chapters are actually devoted to Jacob. Eleven are devoted to Joseph. You know how many are devoted to Isaac? Two. So you have Abraham, you have Jacob and Joseph, and then somewhere sandwiched in between, you have the life of Isaac. Truly, there's very little we know about him. In fact, it's almost as if Isaac comes on the scene, right? They go and find him a wife. He comes on the scene, and the next thing we know is he's much older, he's senile, he's blind, and he's about to die. Does that feel like anybody here today? Feel like I was just born yesterday, and now I feel like I'm about to die. I can't see, right? Uh, you know, this is the life that we see in Isaac. There's not much written about him. Oh, you say, well, we do know something about him. Chris, I was thinking about you. Uh, Chris is talking over here. I was thinking about you because, Chris, pay attention to the message, man. I'm calling you out. Listen. All right? Don't let that guy over there get you off track, right? I was thinking about you because what we do know about Isaac is that he dug wells. But you know what else? We also know that he dug wells and then he disputed with the neighbors about who owned the water. So we really don't have a lot to go on when it comes to Isaac. But through it all, watch this, through it all, God's promised blessing. Who did he promise? Abraham. Through it all, God's promised blessing was on Isaac. And scripture mentions, that's crazy to me, we don't know a lot, but scripture mentions Isaac as being an example for you and me today of someone who exercised faith. And so I have to ask the question, what did he do that was so special? You say, well, Pastor, you just read the, the, the one verse that it indicates what he did by faith. He blessed uh, uh, Esau, uh, Jacob and Esau concerning things that come. Well, here's the thing. This one little act of faith by Isaac, for whom we don't know a lot about, actually happened at the very end of his life. By the way, if you're a senior saint today here, say amen. amen. Some of you don't want to say amen because you're not come to the realization that you're a senior saint. I got news for you folks. 
If you look like me, you're a senior saint. Right? You're like, do I look that bad? Well, there's a mirror out here. You can check it out. He exercises faith at the end of his life. So don't give me this who struck John that you can't exercise faith because you're 70 years old. Uh Uh-oh, it got quiet. No 70-year-old is going to say amen at that. Although my boy Carl exercised some faith, didn't he? Isn't that right, Laura? He exercised a lot of faith. (laughs) I love Carl. What a wonderful man. It's never too late to exercise faith. That's why we need to be reminded. We need faith for today, not yesterday, not tomorrow. I need it today. And then tomorrow, we sang about God's mercies are new every day. Tomorrow, when I get up, I need it again. I need to exercise faith tomorrow. And then Tuesday and Wednesday and most assuredly on Thursday. Anybody ever have a problem with Thursdays? You get past Wednesday and you're thinking, man, it's almost the weekend. And then Thursday happens and you're like, oh, I'm not there yet. We need faith. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. But why? Think about that. Why does this blessing even matter? Why is it? Why is this one verse of Scripture here? Why is it listed that this man, who I can make a case, I'm not real sure I see a lot of faith, but why is he listed as having faith when he blesses Jacob and Esau? Well, we have to find out because if you go all the way back to the story in Genesis chapter 12 and in verses number 2 and 3, we find this original promise from God. He's talking to Abram who becomes Abraham and he says to Abram, he says, I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee. And then in verse 3 he says, I in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So in other words, God is telling Abraham that his blessing was going to come to the whole world through Abraham, and not necessarily Abraham specifically, but through Abraham's offspring. Now, some of you are going to say, well, he had Ishmael. No, he had Ishmael with Hagar. That was not what God wanted him to do. You see, that? remember Sarah and Abraham, they tried to intercede just like we're going to see takes place here. They tried to get involved in God's plan. Listen, we need to stay away and let God take care of his business. We do what we do and let him do the rest. Sometimes we involve ourselves so much when really we ought to just trust him more. And so, in Genesis chapter 22, in verse number 18, the Bible tells us that in Abraham's seed, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. Why would all of the nations of the earth be blessed? Here's the real downright simple answer. Because God said so. You're like, is it that simple? Yeah. Because God said so and Abraham obeyed. Remember, he's remembered for having a a faith of obedience. God said so and Abraham obeyed. And so guess what? He obeys by faith, which is why the birth of Isaac is such an incredibly important thing in Scripture. The New Testament reiterates this promise from God. Paul's writing to the church of Galatia. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 16 Paul writes, now to Abraham and his seed. He's talking about Abraham's offspring. 
right? So in essence, we've already got to Isaac. So he's talking about Abraham and his seed, his offspring, were the promises made. He saith not into seeds, plural, watch it, seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is who? Christ. The point of this verse and the whole point of the, this whole book, the point of Scripture is that God was promising Abraham that somewhere, Abraham, in your family line, a descendant is going to come out of your seed, going to come out of your offspring, and he's going to take down that dirty, rotten devil. And his name is Jesus. Can we say thank you, Jesus? Man, I'm so thankful for my Lord. So the promised blessing, think about it with me. The promised blessing was going to come from Abraham's offspring. So here's the point. When Abraham dies, when Abraham dies, right, the inheritance, the heir, would be carried through Isaac. But when Isaac dies, who would carry on the promised blessing? Because Scripture tells us very clearly, very plainly, very succinctly that Isaac has... Two sons. And in the Old Testament, what you need to understand is an heir was only carried out through, say it again, the oldest, the one. So, who would carry on the promise? You see, the task of naming, the task of blessing the heir of God's promise, literally, watch this, in a life that seems rather ordinary to you and me, the task of naming and task of blessing uh, this, this passing on, if you will, God's promised blessing, right, becomes the most significant event, watch this, in Isaac's entire life. It becomes the most important event in his life. And if you look at our verse in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that he did it. He offered the blessing by faith. Now, we read about this in real time, and I'm going to give you the end a little bit before the beginning here. We read about this blessing in real time in Genesis 28, and you can write that verse down for yourself to look at it later. But in Genesis chapter 28, I'm giving you kind of the Paul Harvey and now the rest of the story first, but here's what it says. Uh, Isaac, in verse number 1, calls Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. He said, Arise, go to Pandanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty, notice what, notice what Isaac says. He's, he's literally passing on the same blessing that God had spoken to Abram, and Abram had no doubt communicated to his son Isaac. Here's what he says. And God Almighty, bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. And then notice, and Isaac sent him away. He said, there it is, now go. Now, I'm going to get into the background of this message, but here I want to say something, and maybe you ought to write it down. If you're a note taker, I want you to write this down because I'm going to say it twice to make sure we don't confuse what we find out here in just a second. The reality is we need to understand from the get-go that just as I mentioned a moment ago in the story of Abraham and Sarah's handmaid Hagar, 
God does not need our help in order to keep his promises. Somebody say, God doesn't need my help. God does not need my help in order to keep his promises. Why? Because he is God and I am not. I could never keep God's promises. I have a hard enough time keeping the promises that I make to my funny little honey. Right? And she's not funny, but she is my honey. God doesn't need Greg to help keep his promises. He's capable of doing it. Watch this. This will bring us all down a little bit. Right? Because we got to be careful of getting ourselves too puffed up. Because if we think we're something when we're not, God has a way of bringing us low. He does not need me to accomplish his plan or purpose. But he wants to use me. Oh, he wants me to be faithful. He wants me to have a relationship with him. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And so, listen, I put in my notes, God doesn't need my help because he's my trustworthy promise keeper. I don't need to help him keep his promises. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 23, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. What, why does he say hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering? He sums it up at the end. He said, for he, talking about God, is faithful that promised. Oh, listen, our God who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need my help. He's going to do what he said he will do. Isn't that good news? In our previous messages, I've actually proven biblically, so I'm not going to take time to do it. I've actually proven biblically that God does not lie. In fact, Titus 1-2 says that God cannot lie. And so we need not talk about whether God's a liar or not because he's not a liar and he cannot lie. So look back with me. I want you to look back with me. Genesis chapter 25. I'm going to give you some background here on this story. Genesis 25. It's on page number 18. 17 and 18. It's not going to be hard to find. Genesis 25. And as you're turning, the reality is this family, this family of Isaac, Rebecca, this family with their twins of Esau and Jacob, they are a mess. They are a mess. Can anybody here identify? Anybody ever had any family issues? Y'all looking forward to Thanksgiving, aren't you? <laughs> These people are a mess, man. You read this story, man, it's like... And, and hey, be, be careful not to do this because sometimes what we do is we read a passage of Scripture and say, man, I'm not doing so bad. Look at these jokers. They're lying, they're scheming, they're doing all kinds of things. Man, we're doing good, honey. Just remember that we don't compare ourselves with other people. We need to be more like Christ, not like the Joneses or Marshall. I'm not talking about y'all. Okay, all right. We're not trying to be like somebody else's family. We're trying to be like Jesus. That's a, different, that's a different gauge altogether. But look with me, because this family's a mess. Look, drop down to verse number 28, because in verse 28, we find out right away that dad loves Esau, and his reasons are skewed up. They're messed up. It says he loves Esau because of, this, because of the deer meat, because of the venison, because of the goat meat, right? 
Listen, man, that's why, listen, Robert, that's why Darren loves you, man. He's like, I taught my boy to hunt. He brings in the meat. I love that boy, right? This is what the Bible says, folks. Esau is loved by his dad. Dad, we need to pay attention. Esau is loved by his dad for the venison that he could eat. Are you kidding me? But then we got mama's boy. Listen, don't be ashamed to be, be a mama's boy. Who's here as a mama's boy? Anybody going to raise their hand? Thank you, Mark, for your honesty. I'm going to be honest with y'all. Come at me. I'm a mama's boy. I love my mama. Oh, you were saying I'm a mama's boy? Oh, oh he's a mama's boy. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> he loves his mama. Look, all of a sudden, all of a sudden he's spiritual. He's looking at the scripture. All of a sudden, man, that Bible went up real quick. He's like, God's word is really interesting today. Uh, I'm looking here. <laughs> Isn't that right, Kendall? He's like, got real spiritual real quick. Hey, can I tell you something? It's okay to have fun in God's house. There's no scripture that says thou shalt not have fun in my house. This family is a mess. The, we, this is the background. We got favoritism before favoritism was a thing. Dad loves Esau because of the meat, and Mama loves Jacob. Let's just be honest, she loves Jacob because Jacob was her boy. He's the youngest. Mm, beware, moms of having an extra affinity for the youngest. Before the twins are conceived, watch this, before the kins, twins are even conceived, there's a struggle. And listen, we can look over in Genesis 26. Listen, do your, do your research, look at it. In Genesis 26, the reality is in verse number 7, we're told that Rebekah is a beautiful woman. But when we look here in Genesis 25, we also find out from verse number 21 that Rebecca was barren. She was sterile. She was unable to have children. Stop for a second because God told Abraham he was going to make a great nation out of him. And God gives him Isaac. Watch this. God says, hey, it's going to be to you and to your offspring. And here comes Isaac, right? And so this is the promised blessing being carried through Isaac. We'll stop real quick because now we have a problem. It sounds a lot like Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was wanting a child. She couldn't have a child. So she intervenes and she says, hey, I'll take matters into my own hand. Go on in there with Hagar and, and see what God will do. Listen, we got to quit putting limits on God. She couldn't have a child. But notice what the scripture says. The scripture says right here, let's look back. In verse 21, it says, Isaac entreated the Lord. He entreated the Lord for his wife, and the result of his prayers, the result of his entreaty, is that his wife conceives. And guess what? They didn't need God's help at all. God's able to make a barren woman give birth. That's because he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. And so... She conceives. 
The question we ask is, how does a barren woman conceive and why does a barren woman conceive? The answer is because God said he was going to promise that this nation would be blessed and God is not a liar. He cannot lie. And so guess what? Our physical limitations are no limitation for God. Our intellectual limitations are no limitation for God. Our abilities are no limitation for God. I might get excited today. He is our trustworthy promise keeper. We either believe that or we don't. And if we don't believe it, it's going to be really hard to exercise some faith for today. If you don't believe that God keeps his promises, if you don't believe that God is trustworthy, if you don't believe the Lord can provide what you cannot provide yourself, then you're going to have problem when Pastor Greg or any other speaker tells you to exercise some faith. Verse 22, look down with me. Because in verse 22, God's word tells us that the children struggled together within her. These boys were fighting before they even came out. Anybody here had twins? Oh, yes, I know. I see my twin moms. Were they fighting before they came out? (laughs) Felt like it, didn't it? Verse 22 also concludes that she... Watch this. Isaac had inquired of the Lord, but now, verse 22, the children are struggling within her womb. And I'll be honest with you, this is impressive. You know what Rebecca does? She inquires of the Lord. She doesn't go down to Barnes & Noble and pick up a book. She, She asked God what's going on. She said, look, I need some answers. What's going on? And so through personal prayer or maybe calling a prophet, you know, some commentators actually suggest that she possibly went to Abraham who was still living and asked him. Oh, some actually believe that she might have just asked her husband, what's going on? Well, it doesn't matter. You say, why it doesn't matter? Because verse 23 tells us all we need to know. Because after she inquires of the Lord, in verse 23, the Bible tells us that the Lord says unto her, watch what he says. He's, he's, he's giving her his purpose and his plan and the prophecy about what's going on in her womb. And he says, behold, he says, two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger. And if you keep on reading, in verse number 25, we find out that the first child that comes out, they, he's, he's hairy. He's covered with hair all over, and he's red and everything, and they call him Esau. And then the second one comes out, and he's holding on for dear life to the heel. Watch this. You see symbolism everywhere. He's holding on to the heel of Esau. He's born a close second, and they name him Jacob. So the Lord prophesies, the Lord pronounces his sovereign will to Rebekah concerning the continuation of the promise that he had previously made to Abraham. But jump over with me on the other page here to chapter 27. Because if you look in chapter 25, you know that Isaac is 40 years old. Watch this, he's 40 years old when he gets married to Rebekah. By the time we get to chapter 27, remember I said it's like he comes on the scene and then the next thing we know he's old, he can't see, he's senile, and he thinks he's about to die. Well, in chapter 27, notice in verse number 1, he calls Esau in. And then in verse number 2, notice what he says to his oldest son. He says, behold now, I am old. (laughs) He says, I am old 
and I know not the day of my death. Let me just stop here for a second and remind every one of us, none of us know the day of our death. You might be 85 or 95, but you still don't know the day of your death. You may be able to say it's coming sooner than, than maybe someone who's younger, but you really don't even know that either, right? Because we know that the young may die, but the reality is, let's just be honest with ourselves, the old must die. So he tells him, I'm old. He says, I don't know the day of my death. And then here's what he does. He, he continues on in verse number three and four. And he says, hey, since I don't know, I'm about to die. I'm old. I can't see. And you kids know this. And, and, and mommy knows this. And everything's going on. Notice what he tells Esau. He says, now, he says, therefore, take, I pray thee, take your weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out in the field and take. Watch, he gets very personal here. He's like, take me some venison. I want what I want. And make me savory meat, such as I love, and bring it to me. Don't worry about feeding yourself. Bring me some meat that I may eat, that my soul, watch this, that my soul may bless thee before I die. And the reality, if you read on the story, is Rebecca hears what's going on. In the tent, she hears what, what Isaac has told Esau. And so she, she's knowing, by the way, she knows what God has revealed to her. She knows that the younger is going to be greater than the older, and the older is going to serve the younger. And so what does she do as a woman? What does she do? She says, I must intervene. I must help God out. <laughs> be careful of helping God out. By the way, it's okay to serve the Lord, but I'm talking about helping God out when it runs counter to his word and what he's revealed. And so she says, I got to do something to stop the wrong. I got to put an end to this. My husband's talking crazy. He's going to give the blessing to the wrong child. God has revealed this to me. Uh, what, what can I do? What must I do? By the way, God doesn't need our help in keeping his promises. And, and here's another thing. Some have actually suggested that Rebecca was exercising faith in this moment. Can I suggest to you, she wasn't exercising faith. She was exercising the lack of faith in God. God said he was going to do something. God said what was going to take place. And so instead of trusting God, she decides to take the reins from God. She says, God, you get in the back seat, right? And let me do the driving for a minute. And she says, I'm going to take control of this situation. Watch this. In her mind, she may have been thinking, I'm going to help you out. God doesn't need our help. But this is what she does. Look at verse 6 and 8. She comes up with her own plan and she speaks to Jacob. Look in verse 6. Behold, she says, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, make me savory meat, that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, notice what she says. And these are strong words in this culture. It's not so strong these days in which we live. But in this time, she says, Obey my voice according to to that which I command thee. Her plan is simple because Isaac is now old. And if you look at chapter 27 and verse number one, he's old, his eyes were dim and he could not see. And so she sets in motion this plan to deceive her husband in order to obtain the blessing for her son, Jacob. By the way, who did she love the most? For Jacob. 
There's all kind of stuff running in there. Yes, God had revealed it, but she has an affinity for Jacob, and so she comes up with her own plan. She tells Jacob, we'll not read all of it, but she tells Jacob, she says, go fetch a couple of goats. She says, bring it to me. I'll prepare it and cook it. I know how your father likes it. He's a man driven by his stomach. Said never any wife. She said, I know how he likes it. And so she said, uh, she said, you go get the meat. And she said, I'll cook the meat. And then Jacob's really not convinced. And she says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to put on your brother's clothes. There's a problem here, folks. There's a problem in the family. She says, you need to put on your brother's stinky hunting clothes. Because your dad will know, since you're a mama's boy, that you've never hunted a day in your life. And he's going to know it's not you. And besides, your brother's a hairy dude. And you are not. And so we're going to put some animal skins on your hands, which I'll be honest with you. Yesterday, I tried to figure that out. I, for a while, I just got stuck on the hair on his hands. I'm like, I don't, I don't care what kind of animal you're killing. I don't know how that's going to feel like a man's hairy hand, but whatever. So she says, you're going to get his clothes. You're going to go in. You're going to impersonate your brother. You're going to take him the food that I make so that your father will give you the blessing. And the hope was that because Isaac's eyes were, were dim, he couldn't see, and he was a little bit senile at this point, the hope was that he would in, uh, unintentionally give the blessing to Jacob. Jacob's not convinced. If you read the passage, he's not convinced it'll work. And so mom gives him all these things that he's going to do. And uh, look with me in verse number 18. Uh, I want to read to you what takes place. Look in verse 18 of chapter 20, uh, 27. Chapter 27, verse 18 and following. The Bible says, And he came unto his father and said, My father! And he said, here am I. Who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, Here comes lie number one. I am Esau, thy firstborn. Can I tell you it's never right to lie? Never. I don't care what situation you're in. Well, it was just a little one. No, it's not right to lie. He says, I am Esau, thy firstborn. That's lie number one. Here comes lie number two, close right behind it. I have done according as thou badest me. You're not Esau, and you haven't done what I've told you to do. He says, arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison. It's not your venison, bro. You just took of your mom's dowry. You just took the food that she was guaranteed, and she made it. She's part of the scheme, and so you go in. He says, here, he says, eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, how is it? That thou found, that it found it so quickly, my son. I mean, he even knew Esau was a good hunter. But he's like, listen, how did you get that so quickly? It seems just like moments ago I sent you to go. Now you got it already cooked and prepared. And I'm guessing Jacob's getting nervous. And he said, because thy Lord, because, because the Lord thy God brought it to me. Lie number three. God didn't bring that to you. You went out in the barn and fetched it yourself. And then look at verse 21. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. So dad's up to the scheme. He knows something is going on. And he calls Jacob over and he says, Come here, let me feel you. I, wanna, I can't see you, but let me, let me, I want to uh, uh, understand if it's really you. 
This is what he's telling them. Jacob went near, verse 22, unto Isaac his father. And he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. And so, watch it, so he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? He gives him one more chance to come clean. He says, Are you really Esau? And Jacob says, I am. Lie number four, right there before us. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near me now, and kiss me, my son. Not only do I want to feel you, not only do I want to hear you, not only do I want to eat the meat that you've cooked for me, not only do I want to do these things, now I want you to come near and give me a kiss. And so he says, come near. He says, and kiss me, my son. Verse 27, he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his raiment. Here comes those clothes into play. And blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and the plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren. Uh-oh. And let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be everyone that blesseth thee. And so as soon as the blessing is over, the reality is Isaac finishes the blessing of Jacob. He goes out. He's had the savory meat. Here comes Esau with his savory meat. And look at verse 32 because you're going to see what happens. Verse 32, and Isaac his father said unto him, who are you? Who art thou? What are you talking? I smell meat again. Who are you? And he said, I am thy son. The tragedy here. He says, I am thy son, thy firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled. He trembled very exceedingly and said, who? Hold on a second. Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me? And I have eaten of it all before you came and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, Scripture says that he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry. Now since we know, watch this, since we know that David, that the, the dad loves Esau and mom loves Jacob, and since we know that the Lord had already shared his will concerning the children with Rebekah, and let me just say this, we had a discussion about this as well. If God shared what his plan was for the children in mama's womb, don't you think mama would have at least shared it with dad? Oh yeah, dad knew. Dad knew what was going on. And yet he was still intending to bless Esau. He was willing to go against what God had already revealed to his wife. Can I just stop here for a second? Men, many times God reveals something to your wife before he'll ever reveal it to you. That's been my experience in life. There are times when I'm asking God for wisdom and then God says, hey, Dodo, Dodo brain, I already gave it to your wife. Go, go get some of it, right? And so he would have known what was going on. That's just a sidebar comment. 
And since Isaac was still wanting and intending to give the blessing to Esau in spite of the Lord's will and prophecy concerning his wife Rebekah, then how in the world can Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 20 tell you and me that by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come? How can we see that? Because I see all kind of messy things. I see scheming. I see, I see downright uh, uh, lying and disobedience and on and on. How can we see Isaac as an example of faith? So I want to give you the answer. Giving the blessing to Jacob was not what Isaac wanted to do. We see that even in Scripture. In fact, I stopped. I stopped. When, when Esau starts crying... When, when, the, when daddy's boy starts crying, you know what? He asks dad, he says, don't you have a blessing for me? What are you going to do for me, dad? Where, where's my blessing? And if you read the verses following, he keeps on entreating his father, give me a blessing, give me something. What, what about my blessing? I'm the oldest son. You know what's right. Give me what I deserve. I am entitled. Does that sound like 2023? So Isaac gives the blessing to Jacob. It's not what he wants to do. But when he realizes, watch this, when he realizes what has taken place and he constructs it all together, right? The reality is that Isaac submits to the will of God. He submits to God's will. Even though it was not what he would have chosen, even though it was not what he would have wanted, he makes no attempt to change it. Look at verse 33 again. He concludes by telling Esau, Yea, and he, speaking of Jacob, shall be blessed. Remember I read you earlier in Genesis 28 and verse number 4. Isaac calls on God to give these, talking about Jacob, to give him the blessing of Abraham to him and to his seed with him. And so since, here's the deal, since he had been tricked, he had every right to revoke that blessing. He could have revoked it right away. He had been tricked by his wife, no less. He had been tricked by his son, no less. He could have said, hey, you guys are a bunch of liars. No, I, I revoked that blessing, and I'm going to give it to Esau. But he doesn't do that. When he realizes what has taken place, and he understands the, 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 the totality of what's going on and what God had revealed to his wife, he realizes that, hey, through it all, through the mess and the muck and everything all, he said, this is God's will. And so he doesn't revoke the blessing. Were Rebecca and Jacob's actions right? No, absolutely not. I told you, God doesn't need our help in fulfilling his promise. You say, well, how would he have done it? I don't know, I'm not God. But I know that God would have fulfilled his promise because he is a trustworthy promise keeper. Walking in unrighteousness is never a good or right thing. And having said that, our faith, watch this, should never be based on what other people do. I shouldn't base my faith on what you do, and you shouldn't base your faith on what I do. We should base our faith on what God reveals and what God promises. And so that's what Isaac does. Faith submits to God even when God's revealed plan for our life is not what we would have chosen to do or what we would have think we really wanted. You know, sometimes I've had occasion to think what I want is right, and God has had a way of revealing that what I want is not right. 
nowhere close to right. Anybody there? I'll be like, yeah, this is what I want. And God says, no, you, you, you know not what you ask. But I'm going to intervene and I'm going to take care of you. So likewise, the challenge for us is to ask ourselves a few questions. And so I ask these few questions rhetorically, but also seriously. Number one, how do we typically respond when things do not work out the way we want them to? How do we respond when things don't work out the way we want to? What do we do, watch this, what do we do when our prayers are not answered the way we want them to be answered? See, sometimes we ask God for things that we really have no business asking God for because we're selfish. We want to consume it, as James says, upon our own lusts. And so sometimes we have a propensity uh, to ask God for things that we have no business asking Him for, and then when it doesn't turn out the way we want, we get mad at God instead of thanking Him. When the Lord leads us, here's another hard one. When the Lord leads us or allows us, leads or allows us to go down a painful path, how do we respond? Ask Job. He could tell you about a painful path. Ask some of our members. They've been down painful paths. You see, Isaac and Esau both, watch this, they seemingly wanted the same thing. Esau wanted a blessing. Isaac wanted to bless Esau. It didn't happen, but watch this. They responded very differently. You see, Isaac, he didn't get what he wanted, but by faith he submitted to God's will. Uh, Anybody remember somebody else who did that? His name is Jesus, right? Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. He kneels down in Luke 22 and 41. He kneels down and he prays and he's asking his boys to pray with him. He's saying, hey, won't you pray with me a while? But then when you get to verse number uh, 42 of chapter 22, Jesus says, Father, if thou be willing, he says, remove this cup, remove your full cup of your wrath. He says, take it away. And he's, remember, he's all God, but he's all human. And sometimes our humanness comes out, doesn't it? Our humanness comes out when we have to walk a painful path. Jesus says, hey, if, it, if, it, if you be willing, God, if you'll allow it, remove this cup of your full wrath. Nevertheless, he says, not my will. He says, but your will be done. Esau, on the other hand, he doesn't respond in faith. He actually wanted nothing to do with God. In fact, flip over if you're at, at Hebrews chapter 11. If you flip over one page to Hebrews chapter 12, we find that Esau is described in verse number 16 of Hebrews chapter 12. He's described as a profane person. In other words, that word profane in the Greek is translated as a wicked or godless person. This is who Esau was. A wicked or godless person. And if you read on in verse number 17 of Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us that Esau, that he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. What a sad commentary. He found no place of repentance, though he sought it with tears. But it wasn't a tear of repentance. It wasn't the tears of God. Uh, you are God and I am not God. Uh, please forgive me before I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. No, his tears were essentially, his motto was, God, if you don't give me what I want, then I don't want anything to do with you. Anybody ever said that? He said, you don't give me what I want? Just like my dad didn't give me what I, don't, what I, didn't want, what I wanted? 
then I don't want anything to do with you. This was his, this was his life. And the Bible says he was a wicked person, a godless person. And he found no repentance. By the way, all the lies, the deception, they brought pain. They brought sorrow and consequences. This family went from being dysfunctional to divided. These, these, these children, listen, Jacob had to leave home in fear of what his brother Esau was going to do to him. And the reality is, as far as we know, watch this, moms. As far as we know, Rebecca never saw her son again. You never find out that she ever saw Jacob, the one she loved the most, again. The lies, the deception, oh, they brought pain and sorrow. But in the end, what are some takeaways? And I don't want to scare you because they're very rapid, but if you're a note taker, write these down. Here are your takeaways. Number one, the first takeaway we have is that God's promise to bless always prevails. His promise to bless always prevails. In spite of this family, listen, that was, that was anything but perfect, in spite of these parents who struggled with favoritism, in spite of these children who began quarreling with one another, God was present and working out His promise and plan in spite of all the scheming. Listen, no doubt this story of lies, deception, and betrayal with a kiss, no less, points us to a story of lies, deception. You remember Judas? He came and what did he do? Betrayed the Lord with what? A kiss. But even still, just as he did in Isaac's family, <laughs> the reality is God's promise to bless all the families of the earth continues to this day to move forward because of his only begotten son, Jesus. Number two, God's promise to bless is a gift. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, it says, For all of sinning comes short of the glory of God. But look at verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through redemption. That is the act, if you please, of being ransomed. It is a full gift from God being ransomed, this through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 points us to this as well, saying in Ephesians 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that if not of yourselves, it is the what? The gift of of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, you and I are not entitled to God's blessing. It is a gift. Remember, because of the cultural norms of that day, Esau fully expected his father's blessing. He fully expected to inherit, you know, as it were, uh, everything that was there. He fully expected these things. So much so that even though the Bible says he was a profane or wicked or godless person, so much so that he was willing to do exactly what his father told him to do. You think about it. He went to work. He went hunting. He cooked the meat. He served the meal to his father. He did everything that his father told him. He said, listen, if you'll go do this, then I'm going to bless you because I'm about ready to die. But here's the thing, folks. We need to remember that none of us are entitled to God's blessings because of what we do. We're entitled to God's blessings because of what he has done. Period. What I do is nothing. What he has done is everything. This is the story we see. And then lastly, God's promise to bless is found in none other than Jesus Christ. 
Galatians 3 and verse 28 and 29 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, if, that's a big word, if you be in Christ, if you be part of Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to... Go back to Genesis chapter 12, to the promise. You're heirs of the promise. You're part of the big picture. God's grand plan that you and I sometimes fail to understand. In the Old Testament, the blessing of being an heir was given to one person each generation. But spiritually speaking, if you and I are in Christ, we are Abraham's seed or his offspring. Praise the Lord. And as such, we are heirs of God's promise. So where are you spiritually this morning? Are you an heir? Are you a joint heir with Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with the Father through His Son? Do you understand that the penalty, the, the price for our sin has been paid once and for all by Jesus Christ? Are you looking for God's blessing in all the wrong places? Sometimes I think we do that. We go looking for blessings in all the wrong places. But notice what Jesus says as He wraps up His Word. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 16, he says, listen, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things into the churches. He said, I am the root, you ready for it, and the offspring of David. Now you trace it all the way back through Abraham. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And then the scripture says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that hear us say, come. And let him that's a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. This morning, folks, the mighty arms of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ are open wide. His message is, listen, he says, listen, I love you. I love you so much that I laid down my life for you. My arms are open wide. I'm asking you to come. If you're thirsty, come. Like Right? Whatever your need is, you come. Drink of the water of life freely. I'm here. Listen, the blessing of being accepted and adopted in the family of God is for you today. The blessing of being God's child forever is yours. But it's only yours by faith. It's only yours by faith in Jesus Christ. I close with this. Back in Genesis 27, it's kind of interesting how Rebecca tells her son Jacob. In verse 15, she tells, she dresses her son Jacob essentially in Esau's clothing in order for him to come to his father Isaac and receive a blessing that he doesn't deserve as sinners. <laughs> as sinners who are saved by God's amazing grace. Jesus has taken our filthy garment our filthy rags, and he has set them aside, and he has dressed us, watch this, he has dressed us in his beautiful righteousness. You see a picture here? You see the picture? Jacob went in his brother's stinky clothes so that he could obtain a blessing he didn't deserve. Jesus takes our stinky clothes, removes them, and gives us clothing of righteousness so that you and I can come before the Father faultless. Faultless. The Bible says we've been justified just as if we never sinned. Right? 
Oh, listen, whatever your need is today, can I encourage you? Yes, faith listens, faith walks with God, faith obeys God, faith receives from God. But today, I want to encourage you to understand and make it a part of your life that faith actually submits to God as well. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we've had to look at this powerful story of how you continue to be our trustworthy promise keeper and how even when things were going this way, that way, and the other, how you worked in Isaac's life to the point where he submitted himself to your will by faith and blessed his children concerning things to come. Certainly, Lord, we didn't even look at his, his blessing of Esau at the end. But, Lord, we're thankful that even in these stories, we can see your love and your blessing of us today. God, I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that they would understand first and foremost that Jesus loves them and that he loved them so much that he willingly died for them, gave of his own so that they might have life everlasting. God, I pray for the family who is, looks at this story and thinks about, man, that, that looks like my family. I want them to know that God brought that family through it, even through the pain and the suffering. The family was brought through because of God's power and promise. Lord, I pray that you will have your will and your way as we open up our hearts, God, as we, as we come before your throne of grace and mercy to find help in our time of need. Lord, I pray that we will do business with you while you are near, and we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and for his sake, amen.